I'm going to have Ray Brossman, one of our elders, come up and lead us in a time of prayer. You hear Ray pray on a regular basis on Sunday mornings, but you hear him pray from the heart of a worship leader. He is also an elder, and I want him to pray from the heart of an elder this morning for our church, for the people that are here, for people that are struggling with different things in their life. And as much as I don't want to encourage you to not pray on your own, I do want you to listen to the heart of an elder as Ray leads us in prayer. Father, we are here this morning to uh, hear your word speak spoken to us. We know that it will encourage us, it will convict us, and we know that it's true. We know that it will last forever. We know, Lord, that we can rely on that in times when we uh, struggle in our lives with different things. We can rely on what your word says to us for troubles we have in our life, whether it's physical problems or spiritual problems, emotional problems. We know, Lord, that we can come to you and uh, hear you speak to us. Father, we're just grateful for this opportunity this morning to come and, and be in your presence because you are here. You promise us that. You promise us that you will be here if we gather in your name. And we do that this morning. Lord, uh, people are struggling with things right now. And uh, so many different things, uh, sicknesses and so many things going on in their lives. And we know that they can turn them to you. And although they may not be completely healed at this time, we know, Lord, that you have your will planned in their life. We pray that they will trust that and have faith in that. And Lord, we just know that uh, you are good and you are awesome. And we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ray. I had a really interesting week this past week. Aside from the burn pile, most of my days were mired in the stories of people. Some were really encouraging. They really were. Shalom stories were sent to me. We talked about that last Sunday morning in church and and a number of people responded and sent me their shalom stories. The moments where they knew they understood who Jesus was. The moments where they got it. And I truly enjoyed reading every one of them. It was a bright spot in the midst of an otherwise discouraging week. Because most of the stories that I was anchored in, those that were shared in my office and over the phone were disheartening. At best, they were disheartening. People were sharing with me the things that they were dealing with. They were sharing their struggles and their heartache. Some were sharing struggles and heartache of faith and others just the practical aspects of life. In many ways, I count those stories as God's illustration for the message that I'd be preaching today. And the Lord does that on a pretty regular basis. He really does. He illustrates and drives home the points that I might be studying over the course of the days leading up to a message. And that's what he was doing. Some of the other stories I sought out. Tina and I went to visit some folks that we knew were having some hard times. Now, I wasn't seeking out those stories. I wasn't seeking out those people because of the message. We just went to pray with them and spend a little time with them. And In some ways, it was a blessing to be there, and in other ways, it was difficult to be in those situations. That's all right. That's part of life. But then there were other stories that I sought out as a means of research that left me almost gutted for a while. They were difficult to read. They were hard to accept. They were 
nearly impossible to understand. That's the best way to put it, nearly impossible to understand. And even though I was studying things out of Scripture that would open a pathway to understanding, it was still hard to grasp some of them. One in particular, and I spent a lot of time with it, left me feeling the pain of those that had endured it. And I'm sure that will you also. In fact, I'm going to share some things with you that six years ago probably rocked your world the way it did our entire country. Now, out of sensitivity, I do want to tell you that some of what I'm about to share is it's hard to hear. And the details are pretty graphic. They come from the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting a few years ago. Philip Yancey was there right after it happened, invited to come and bring hope to an entire community. And he writes in great detail what he witnessed. I'm going to share with you some of those details. Parents, if you have children in here and and, uh, might be concerned about the sensitive nature of what we're about to listen to, it is okay if you want to go out into the lobby for the next two minutes or so as I take you through what Yancey wrote. Or if this is something you don't want to hear on your own, it is okay to go out into the lobby. Like I say, it's, it's graphic in nature and sensitive to the core. So if you do want to step out, I totally appreciate that. I want you to listen to what Yancey wrote in the days after he arrived. This is what he found in their community. The shooter passed one first grade classroom and entered that of Lauren Russo, a substitute for a teacher on maternity leave. He shot Russo and her 14 students as well as a special education teacher who had been employed for just over a week. In that classroom, the police would find 14 small bodies all huddled together, each shot at least twice. Officers found one little boy still alive. He would die in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. Incredibly, one six-year-old girl had survived by playing dead. She walked out of the school covered in her classmates' blood. Mommy, I'm okay, but all my friends are dead, she said finally. In the next classroom, teacher Victoria Soto had hidden her 20 children in a closet and a cupboard. She tried to divert the shooter by telling him all the children were in the auditorium at the other end of the school. Then the closet door opened and some of the frightened children made a run for it. Six were killed, and while the shooter reloaded, six more escaped, fleeing to the front yard of a retired psychologist across the street. Soto's body was found on top of the children she tried to protect, along with the body of another teacher who specialized in autism. Students' drawings hung on the bulletin board with captions like, I love my teacher, Miss Soto. I am not kidding. For 32 pages, Yancey goes on detailing, recounting, the stories that he heard while he was in Newtown, Connecticut. 32 pages of stories just like that. 32 pages of how people felt as they were going through it. 32 pages of how they were dealing with the aftermath of the shooting. 32 pages recorded not only at the school, but in the funerals that would follow. He showed up after the first two of 27 would happen. 20 children were killed. Six teachers and administrators from the school and the shooter's mother. 27 people killed. And it leaves a question in everyone's mind, whether you lived in Newtown, Connecticut in 2012 or whether you live in the United States of America today, six years after the event. 
Why do things like that happen? Why does God allow that to happen? That is a difficult question to answer. That's why Yancey went to Newtown. That's why he was invited there to try to bring some sort of understanding for the question why, to help people try to get a rope around everything that had just shocked and shaken their little town. He would tell you he left feeling unsuccessful. The Bible actually gives us a simple answer, and that's exactly what it is. It is a simple answer, yet it is very direct. It's found in John chapter 16, verse 33. Now listen to this. We're going to put it up on the screen, but listen to these simple yet direct words from Jesus. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right in the center of that is this statement, and it's, it's a bold one. In this world you will have trouble. If you were in Newtown, Connecticut in 2012 at Sandy Hook Elementary or in the the blocks that surround that school, maybe, just maybe, this would offer you some understanding. It would not bring a lot of hope, but it would offer some understanding. In this world, you will have trouble. When people face difficult times in their lives, this tends to be one of the verses that I turn to. And even over the course of this week, I was able to share this passage of Scripture with a lot of the folks that were coming to my office or calling in on the phone. In this world, we're going to have some trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The answer, the hope is found in Jesus. It always is. And I know that sounds so simple, but it is the default setting that exists within me when I am visiting with people in the midst of very tough times in their lives. I just want to direct them to Jesus. Maybe that's because of professional training. Maybe it's because of personal experience. And maybe that response comes solely out of the deep love that I have for Him. I don't know what the answer is, but I know that I find my way back every time to Jesus. In this world, we will have trouble, but take heart. He has overcome the world. Still, people ask why. People want to know how come we have to deal with things like this. Why are there shootings in schools? Why is there cancer? Why is there death? Why are there firings? Why are there financial problems? Why are there, you can plug in anything you would like in that list. Why? And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But first, I want us to explore this verse. John chapter 16, verse 33. If you were here last week, it starts out so simply and so beautifully. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. He was talking to the twelve apostles when he said those words. I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. We talked about the peace that he was bringing up to them, the peace that he was mentioning. We referred to it as the shalom peace of God. And those are the stories that a number of you sent to me last week and I encourage the rest of you, if you would like to, send me your stories of shalom. Send me your stories of the peace of God. Send me the stories of when you really understood what God has to offer. When you really understood the love of Jesus Christ. I love those stories. They're my favorites. So Jesus was telling them, I have shared these things with you so that in me you might have peace. Now you can remember last Sunday we said 
that those words followed some difficult prophecies from Jesus to the apostles. He told them that one of them would betray him. He told Peter that he would deny him. And then the butter on the biscuit for that whole thing was this. He said, I'm not going to be with you very long. I'm going to leave you. You're going to need strength. And when I do leave you, the Holy Spirit is going to come. The Comforter will be here and He will walk through life with you. That was encouraging. Yet still, they had to face a world without Jesus. They had to face a world where they would not be able to see Him, talk to Him, touch Him, sit down and share a meal with Him face to face. And they didn't know how to process it. So Jesus told them. He shared with them great things so that in Him they might have shalom. They might have peace. They were going to need it. These 12 guys, they were going to need it. I want to walk you through the way they all died. We're just going to go one by one through the apostles. Pay close attention to this. Peter and Paul both martyred in Rome about 66 AD during the persecution under Emperor Nero. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down at his request since he did not feel he was worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. Andrew went to the land of the man-eaters in what is now the Soviet Union. Christians there claim him as the first to bring the gospel to their land. He also preached in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and in Greece, where he is said to have been crucified. Thomas was probably most active in the area east of Syria. Tradition has him preaching as far east as India, where the ancient Marthoma Christians revere him as their founder. They claim that he died there when pierced through with the spears of four soldiers. Philip possibly had a powerful ministry in Carthage in North Africa and then in Asia Minor, where he converted the wife of a Roman proconsul. In retaliation, the proconsul had Philip arrested and cruelly put to death. Matthew, the tax collector and writer of the gospel, ministered in Persia and Ethiopia. Some of the oldest reports say he was not martyred, while others say he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. James, the son of Alphaeus, is one of at least three Jameses referred to in the New Testament. There is some confusion as to which is which, but this James is reckoned to have ministered in Syria. The Jewish historian Josephus reported that he was stoned and then clubbed to death. Matthias was the apostle chosen to replace Judas. Tradition sends him to Syria with Andrew and to death by burning. John is the only one of the company generally thought to have died a natural death from old age. He was the leader of the church in the Ephesus area and is said to have taken care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in his home. During Domitian's persecution in the middle 90s, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. There he is credited with writing the last book of the New Testament, the Revelation. An early Latin tradition has him escaping unhurt after being cast into boiling oil at Rome. Judas died at his own hand. The Bible and tradition, neither one, tell us how Bartholomew or Simon the Zealot died. But most people, most scholars and teachers, believe that those last two guys were also martyred for their faith. Interestingly enough, Jesus would say this to Peter, and then eventually to John at the end of the Gospel of John. John chapter 21, verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Of John, Jesus would say this, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is this that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So you can imagine how real those words were to the disciples as they faced all kinds of persecution throughout the course of their lives. After Jesus ascended into heaven, I can't help but imagine these words ringing true over and over and over in their lives. In this world, you will have trouble. I'm sure when they laid down at night after a particularly difficult day, those were the anchor points that they grabbed hold of. In this world, you will have trouble. They may very well have said at the end of each day, Amen. That is the way it is, Lord. In this world, we are having trouble. But they remained faithful. They stayed with him all the way through, with the exception of Judas. They stayed with him all the way through. I also can't help but imagine how often they wondered to themselves, why does this happen? We're just doing what the Lord asks us to do. We're just following him. Why are we having to go through this? Why are we having to struggle through things like this? It's the exact same question that we ask when it appears that our world is crashing down on us. When it looks like the foundation that we have been standing on is crumbling. We ask the same question. Why? Why do we have to do this? Why does God even allow us to go through things like this? Well, Philip Yancey would say it like this. Though friles, and rightly so, calls our faith into question. They also affirm our faith. I really like the way Yancey says that. Trials will call our faith into question, but when we approach them the right way, they will also affirm our faith. A modern-day theologian named Miroslav Volf would take that idea and expound on it like this. Take a look. Those who observe suffering are tempted to reject God. Those who experience it often cannot give up on God. You can protest against the evil in the world only if you believe in a good God. Otherwise, the protest doesn't make sense. A lot of times people want to say because of the difficulties that we all face, there must not be a God. And if there is, He doesn't love us. Well, Miroslav Volf is saying that is not the case. You cannot protest the evil in the world if you do not believe in God, he says. Because otherwise the protest doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And that's why Yancey might say that as we go through trials, as we go through difficulties, they have the ability to affirm our faith, to make it grow, to make it stronger. There's good teaching in that. Desmond Tutu, after 
two years of watching people needlessly and heinously murdered in South Africa would actually say this. Take a look at his quote. For us who are Christians, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof positive that love is stronger than hate, that light is stronger than darkness, that laughter and joy and compassion and gentleness and truth, all these are so much stronger than their ghastly counterparts. Now there's some hope. There's some hope. It's the same type of hope that Jesus would speak of in Matthew 24. If you have your Bibles with you, open up to that chapter with me. Matthew 24, we're going to start in verse 3. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives when the disciples come to him privately. Verse 3 has them saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to the tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now follow what Jesus is saying. The closer we get to the return of Christ, to His return, the more difficult things are going to become. The apostles certainly understood that. Things were difficult for them. The ones who went to Him privately and asked Him to explain this, they heard those words and they lived those words. And it has continued that way for 2,000 years. Things have been difficult. Trials have come that have called into question the faith of God's children. But over and over and over again, those trials have also affirmed the faith of God's children as people have lived out verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now that is hope. We stay with it all the way through to the end. Even when the Apostle Paul would say that as we get close to the return of Christ, people are going to give up on sound teaching. They're no longer going to care about truth. They're just going to turn to teachers that will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And that's what it means when Jesus says that as we get closer to that time, men's hearts will turn cold. They won't care about truth. They won't care about what really matters. They will care only about what they want to hear. But you remain faithful to the end and you will be saved. You remain faithful to the end no matter what you face and you will be saved. No matter how hard it gets, Tutu would say, you don't give up on God. Miroslav Volf would say, you don't even fight against the existence of God. Jesus would say, you just remain faithful. You will find peace when you need peace. In this world, you will have trouble. No question about it. Next week, we're going to look at the second part of this message, which is the more encouraging part of it, where Jesus says, you take heart. I have overcome the world. 
Hopefully you'll be back next week to hear that part. But until then, you remember this out of his mouth as well. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's great hope in that. I want to build on that hope because I know that a number of you are facing all kinds of different things. It may not be a crisis of faith. It may be that in this world you're just having trouble with every relationship you ever enter into. It may be that you have a whole history of brokenness behind you. It may be that you're having trouble at work. It's possible that what you're dealing with are financial problems. It's possible that you're just having trouble with health issues. Or it is possible that you are struggling with any number of different things and you need hope. So I want you to have that. I really do. Here are seven verses of Scripture that can bring hope in the midst of any number of different trials. We're going to put them up on the screen. So take a look at this. Starting in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. If you believe the words of that verse, would you just say together with me, Amen. Amen. Take a look at number two. Psalm chapter 46, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Let's say it again. Amen. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. If you have found your way into that strong tower, say it with me. Amen. Psalm chapter 34, verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. If you have found yourself at some point in life crying out to God and experiencing His answer, say it with me. Amen. Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Amen. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. There's that shalom word again. Shalom I leave with you. My shalom I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's say it again. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. If you believe it, let's say it. Amen. That's hope. Seven passages of hope. As you make your way through all kinds of trials, sometimes the hope that we need to hold on to is found not just in the truth of these scriptures, but in the promise of what waits for us. And do you know what waits for us? Do you know? The Bible would teach that there are three crowns waiting for those who remain faithful to the end. In this world, you will have trouble. But you remain faithful to the end and not only will you be saved, you will be granted three crowns from the Lord. I'll show them to you if you have your Bible with you. This is important, intriguing stuff I want you to see. We'll start first in James. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. There's the first one, which God has promised to those who love him. If you're a note taker, if you're an underliner, a highlighter in your Bible, why don't you underline 
crown of life. Maybe even in the margin of your Bible you want to write these words. That's crown number one. It's coming to the righteous that are saved. That's crown number one. It's a promise given to those who remain faithful to the end and are saved. Paul would write to Timothy about another one. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Why don't you underline crown of righteousness? And in the margin of your Bible, write crown number two. It is a promise offered to every person who remains faithful to the end and is saved. Not only will you be saved, but these crowns will become a part of your collection given to you by Jesus Himself. Here's the third one. It's found in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Again, why don't you highlight that or underline that and in the margin of your Bible. You might want to write crown number three. It's a promise offered to those that remain faithful to the end and are saved. Isn't that a cool promise? You remain faithful to the end and you will be saved and you'll receive those three crowns. Those are rewards given to you by the Lord Himself as He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You made it. The apostles have those crowns today. A lot of other saints that have gone before us have all three of those crowns already sitting on the shelf that Jesus prepared for them. I can't help but wonder what the events are that surround the wearing of each of those. When is it that the Lord sends out a text to everybody in heaven and says, hey, bring your crown of life tonight. It's going to be a party. Or maybe another text that comes through or a, a personal message on heavenly Facebook that says, hey, tonight there's going to be a party. want everybody to come. Bring the crown of righteousness with you. That's what we're going to celebrate tonight. And maybe the, the Friday night after that, you get another one of those messages from God that says, bring your unfading crown of glory. We are going to celebrate together. Can't you just imagine what those celebrations would be like in heaven? That's what it will be like for those that remain faithful to the end and are saved. Those types of celebrations will happen over and over and over again. And you will be invited to wear your crown. Interestingly enough, a article popped up on my computer screen that drove this point home for me. Otherwise, I would not have read it. I was already thinking about crowns when it showed up. Otherwise, this would have not mattered to me one bit. But here's the article. Here's the backstory. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry were in the Fiji Islands. They went to a state dinner and Meghan was told by Prince Charles that she could not wear a tiara to that dinner because it would be inappropriate. Did anybody else see that? Good. Nobody else cared either. So... Megan was a little bit upset because at the same time there was another state dinner going on where everybody else was getting to wear crowns and tiaras and so she didn't understand why it was that she couldn't wear the crown. 
Well, they had to pull out the regulations surrounding the wearing of tiaras and crowns at state dinners so that she could get her head wrapped around it. Here are the rules in Great Britain for when a crown is appropriate for a princess or when a tiara is appropriate. It has to be a white tie event. On the island of Fiji, they were going to a black tie event. A white tie event, in case you're wondering, and I hope you're not, means that the princess has to wear an evening gown and the prince is required to wear military dress. That is a white tie event. If that is the requirement and it is a white tie event, then a tiara is called for and anything else is presumptuous. Okay. Well, here's the cool thing. So I was reading this article. I found myself reflecting on the the idea that we are going to a white tie event in heaven. It is a white tie event. If you don't believe me, I want you to believe the Bible. This is found in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. The one who conquers, listen to this, will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name, from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. There's the white tie event. And it isn't just the tie. It is the entire garment. Everyone's dressed in white. How cool is that? And the British people think they pioneered this. They didn't. It came from God himself at a white tie event. You can wear your crown. And heaven is a white tie event. You have three crowns to choose from. But God may very well say at certain points in time, I want everybody to wear a certain crown. Like this. Here's what that party is going to look like. Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Listen, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the white tie event of heaven. For those that have overcome the tribulations of life, this is speaking particularly of a seven-year tribulation period, but the promise holds true for every person that remains faithful to the end and is saved. You get your crown. You take all three of them and you go to this event. You stay with God. 
You may ask why and you may wonder about some of the things you're dealing with, but you stay with God. In this world, we're going to have trouble. The Lord told us that. It's a strange promise. There's no question about that. But Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. So you remain faithful. I know that some of you are dealing with some difficult things in your life right now. I know that some of you are on the brink of giving up. I heard some of those stories this week. I want to encourage you as strongly as I can. Don't you give up. You stay with God. You remain faithful to the end and you will be saved. But I also know that when you face some of these difficulties and these hardships alone, it's overwhelming. At times it's too much. It's just too much. And you can't handle it. And you need somebody to help show you a way through. You need somebody to walk through it with you. You need somebody to pray with you. You need somebody to stay beside you as you remain faithful. We want to offer you an invitation from the Lord today to find that person. You can respond to this invitation. Just go over to this door to my right, your left. You tell Danny, I just need somebody to pray with me. They will pray through whatever it is that you are facing, whatever it is that you are dealing with. I had a lady that emailed me yesterday. She told me that a week ago she had five major hits in her life. Five major hits. She needed people to pray with her. You might as well. Respond to this invitation. Somebody will be there. Our elders will be available. They'll be happy to pray with you as well. You just respond to the invitation. The burden will get easier when you have other people in it with you. It had to be somewhat encouraging to the apostles to know that they were all standing there together when Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. He meant all of them. They were all going through the same things. There are people going through whatever it is you're going through, and there are people that have already been through it. You respond to the invitation and let them minister to you. Why don't you stand and we'll pray together and then offer the invitation. Father in heaven, traditionally I like to preach encouraging messages. At least that's the way I see it. Today is hard, but next Sunday is coming. And oftentimes that's how we have to view the struggles of our life. Today is hard, but Sunday is coming. You are coming. There's hope in that. There's a promise in that. And Lord, that promise carries us through. I'm grateful that you didn't pull any punches with us, that you told us the truth. In this world, we would have trouble. We would face difficulties. And certainly we all know that to be true. But Father, we also know you as truth. And we know your presence. And we are grateful for you. So now I'm praying for those that need to receive just a little extra grace, a little extra mercy. They need to feel you. I pray they'll respond to this invitation, your invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.